From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. I love it. I feel like we're getting ready to blast off here, and we are, friends. We have a historic podcast today based on the topic and we're going to tease that right now because there was a news conference yesterday that is breaking news internationally on a lawsuit. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but I want to remind you, Wisconsin friends, the uh, very important election next week. I've got information on con- constitutional conservative Daniel Kelly for Wisconsin Supreme Court. He is pro-life. He preserves the Constitution. He upholds the rule of law, and he wants to prevent judicial activism. That is Daniel Kelly for Wisconsin Supreme Court. Also, Jenny Palzowitz. I got her sign in my yard, so you know who I'll be voting for on April 4 or before if you can vote early. She's running in De Pere, Wisconsin for Alder Person, Alder Person, District 4. So, of course, she's uh, she's a friend from our church, and so we support Jenny Palzowitz for Alder Person um, in De Pere. Now, then there were three... Friends, we've got listeners in Maine. We heard from two of them in the last 24 hours. It's really interesting. Um, so if you are just tuning in don't know what this is about, we know we have listeners from wherever, but we, we, we're not we're absolutely 100% sure until we get some correspondence, and in many cases it's a donation to Stand Up For The Truth and Q90FM. So we got one from Maine last night. Where is it? Uh, it is from, oh, I had it right in front of me a minute ago. It is from um, Rick from Presque Isle, Maine. God bless you, brother. He says, hello from Maine. I listen often and appreciate your ministry. And this morning I got a phone call from, I believe it was Jenny from Maine, saying, how can I donate? I can't find a button on your website. Well, you can go to standupforthetruth.com slash donate, I believe. So we are down to three states in the entire country that have not had a person donate to Stand Up For The Truth and represent, represent your state. Those states are, who's going to be last? Who's going to be last? This is a competition now. Those states are Connecticut, Rhode Island, and Utah. I know there are Christians there. Hello, I know we have mm-hmm. listeners there. Yep. So if you would like to get on the map and make the competition come down to just two who are the last to donate, please do so at StandUpForTheTruth.com. One more comment before we get to our very special guest and very huge topic today on medical malpractice and an important lawsuit filed. Um, Hi, David. Been a faithful listener to the podcast for almost two years now. Love it. Up here in the land of Emperor Justin Castro. Uh, We all know he's really Fidel's biological son. We don't have biblically-based programs like this. I live in Alberta, which used to be conservative a conservative Christian province up here. Almost all churches are so woke, it's disgusting. Even Christians in our own family think that the pastors here should have been arrested for daring to keep their churches open during COVID and not obey the governments. 
and they use Roman 13, Romans 13 to justify their logic. Anyway, I wanted to contribute to your program, which has had so much impact on my life in following Christ over the last few years. All of this insanity going on would have been very devastating to me if it were not for your Bible-based commentaries. And I wanted to hopefully... Uh, be one of the first from Alberta so you can add our province to your list of supporters. Actually, we have several from up there, uh, brother. Thank you. Uh, I've been following a number of your guests as well that share my values. May God continue to bless your program and reach that you reach and encourage an ever-increasing number of real believers with a biblical worldview. Now, friends, oh, Mary has an announcement too, another reminder about a uh, Bible donation opportunity in Appleton. Yes, we're kind of winding down with this at Calvary Chapel. Uh, Jason Jason Wolford was a guest a few weeks ago. He's with Missionary Cry, and since 1956 they have been donating Bibles uh, overseas. And so Calvary Chapel has had an opportunity to do this. It's kind of winding down now because these are going to go over sometime in April. So um, I think we're looking at this weekend maybe being the end of it, but you can drop off your Bibles at Calvary Chapel, 2136 East Newberry Street. Uh, also books, but please make sure that they are um, biblically-based books. Um, sometimes you get the emergent type books and this sort of thing, and we just want to send over things that will be have sound doctrine in them. So, again, uh, this weekend, um, or maybe early next week even, if, mm-hmm. if that's when you're around, drop those awesome. off at Calvary Chapel. I take mine. Remember the one I put yes, on your desk? You All did. Right. You did. Uh, brand new NASB, which is the translation. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, so I want to read a little um, paragraph from a media alert press release that went out yesterday on a news conference that took place yesterday morning in Appleton, Wisconsin, across the street from St. Elizabeth's Hospital. Um, Grace Shera, a 19-year-old with Down syndrome, died at St. Elizabeth's Hospital, Ascension, after medical personnel administered three drugs that, when given together, are known to hasten severe hypoxia. Those drugs are Presidex, lorazepam, and morphine. As Grace slipped into acute respiratory failure and Grace's sister begged for help, instead of starting CPR immediately, the nurses refused. Grace's physician had independently designated her as DNR, do not resuscitate. That DNR order was written without the family's consent and in defiance of the sheriff family's expressed wishes that all life-saving measures be deployed for their Down syndrome daughter. As a result, of the lethal cocktail of drugs in the fraudulent DNR order, Grace died on October 13, 2021. So yesterday is a historical day now in this process of all of us who are wanting some sort of accountability or some sort of justice. And we want to welcome back to the podcast in studio, Brother Scott Shera. Thank you. Wow, that was quite an introduction, David. Thank you for having me. Well, for a lot of our newer listeners who who haven't been listening for a couple of years that don't know the whole story of what happened to Grace and what your family has gone through and the research, the meticulous research you've done and what it's taken. I'm sure it's taken a physical toll on your family, too, even to do what you're doing now. But thank you for what you're doing. So the press conference yesterday Tell us about it, and what would our listeners love to hear? Try to walk us through that and what happened. Well, it was quite an event. You know, it is. It was the high point of everything we've been doing so far, and it's at the same time it's the starting point of the next chapter. Mm. 
Yeah, it was, you know, God gifted us with an unbelievable day. You know, the sun was shining. Awesome. Uh, you know, it was it was Well, something. in more ways than one, the sun yes. was shining and the sun was shining. Yes. It, <laughs> you know, we had the backdrop of St. Elizabeth's Hospital, mm. uh, the backdrop to the stage, which was pretty neat. Mm. Uh, Jessica gave an outstanding That's speech. That's your daughter. My daughter, Jessica, outstanding speech. And followed up by Cindy, which her speech was fantastic. Mm. You know, so it was, it was great. There was, uh, I would estimate 150 people attended. Mm. Uh, the media was there and a lot of questions after mm. we were done giving the press conference. We'll there was about a those. half hour of questions, which mm. was really nice. And, you know, now we start. Today's the next, the first day of the next chapter. Just to get to this point, Scott, um, I, I, I just can't imagine, oh, I can't imagine because you've been a regular on this podcast updating us on different things you found out through the months and the last year and a half or so. Um, it, it is really amazing the work that you put into this. We were going to ask, one of us was going to ask this question, why have there, with all the injustices across the country and around the world in hospitals with their COVID protocols and the deaths of people that probably should have never died. Why are you the first mm -hmm. to file a lawsuit after so much mm -hmm. time? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. There's there's a lot of reasons, and I'm going to uh, give give the broad brush first, and then we'll drill it down to the details. So, from a broad brush perspective, what happened with in this so supposed COVID era is the Health and Human Services Secretary implemented the Prep Act. And the PREP Act not only incentivized hospitals to follow NIH protocols that killed people, but it also gave them immunity from liability if they followed those protocols. Mm -hmm. So that's that's an overall wow. perspective as to why no cases are filed. So the NIH, the National Institute of Health. Yes. Okay. Then as you drill it down to uh, medical malpractice type cases. So that's an umbrella that covers a lot of different claims. So anytime there's malpractice in a in a hospital setting, we'll call that medical malpractice, even though there's a number of tentacles for that claim. So early on, we were referred to an attorney who knew the what he called was the best medical malpractice attorney in the state of Wisconsin. And I talked to him way early on. And he said, even in cases that are slam dunks like Grace's case, you only have a one in 10 chance of winning. Mm. And I said, what's the reason? And he said, I had a, he said, let me get, tell you a story. He said, I had a case where the doctor sewed up a sponge inside of the patient and we lost. I said, well, how is that possible? He said, I brought 10 experts and they brought a hundred. He said, they circle the wagons and they're bigger than us. Oh and goodness. so in the best case scenario, you have a one in 10 chance. So now we have the prep act, you have the circle of the wagons factor, and then you drill it down to the actual state statutes. So in Grace's case, Grace was a legal adult. She was 19. Okay. And there's two state statutes that preclude us from filing. So because Grace was a legal adult, we have no loss of companionship claim. This is by state statute. And similarly, there's um, the wrongful death claim is limited. 
And when I asked the, so I had already seen these statutes before I talked with the medical malpractice attorney. I said, well, what's the purpose of those statutes? It doesn't make any sense to me. If, if a physician killed somebody, why aren't they held to account? By, why does state statute give them an exemption? And he said the lobby has been put in place for, to give us affordable health care. If physicians could be sued, they won't come and practice in your state. So these laws, this first law that I mentioned, has been on the state statutes for 47 years. This is So this was set up wow. way before COVID. So it becomes near impossible. So what we had to do to get around these things to be able to just file is we had to open up an estate for Grace because Cindy and I have no claim. Oh, my goodness. She's your daughter and you have no claim. Um, oh. Mary, do you well, have a question? Yeah, I, I think things have changed in that realm. Is was it used to be they had you know a lot of insurance and you could sue the doctors. The insurance company would just sort of pick up the slack and their lives went on. This sounds like a a different kind of scenario. I've never heard of any of this. Is this something fairly new? Just because of maybe pandemic possibilities or COVID? Is this a new? Well, you said 47 years on the books for the one. That's, that's for Wisconsin, right? Wisconsin. Yeah, that's for Wisconsin. There will be similar laws in other states, but Wisconsin okay. actually, uh, Mary, this is real interesting because Wisconsin makes you jump through another hoop. So that's what was filed yesterday is the first, and I call this a hoop because Jeez. there's a there's a Wisconsin patient compensation fund, and so it's the equivalent of like a workers' compensation fund, and by state statute, you have to file a claim for mediation first before your civil case can be filed. So Grace's civil case will be filed in the next couple of weeks, but we had to file the claim for mediation first with the director of state courts. So it, it becomes, you know, people, I'm sure, you know, we've already been uh, working with the attorneys um, since September. Uh, you know, people give up. Mm-hmm. You know, there's and I I can see it. It costs a lot of money, and they just right. they give up. I see the I see why there's yeah. no cases filed. Yep, we understand that too, and uh, we thank you for doing this, Scott. Friends, mm-hmm. uh, here's here are a couple more details that you're hearing now on how you can pray for the Sheriff family. Um, that's Scott, Cindy, uh, Jess, and you spent how many hours did you spend with attorneys leading up to yesterday? Yeah, last week I had about thirty hours with the legal team in just one to week. file one piece of paper in one week. <laughs> in one week, that was just one week with right. the legal team. Uh, tens of thousands of dollars put into this. Uh, we don't want to give a specific amount, but it costs a lot of money. The average person just can't do it. They already paid for a funeral of their loved one. They probably had some hospital expenses. Maybe their insurance didn't cover everything. So not everybody can do this. We're thankful that that you are. We're going to watch this case closely. Um, here's something I wanted to read from the press release and have you elaborate a little bit. It says, St. Elizabeth's Hospital not only breached the standard of care, but their unethical behavior led directly to Grace's death. It, and you say, quoting you, it's clear to me that this hospital was a dangerous place for Down syndrome patients like my daughter. My Grace was discriminated against due to her disability, and she received grossly subpar health care in clear violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act End quote. For those that didn't hear the podcast with you and, and Vera Sharav when we were talking about this, elaborate on that, please. So this is another interesting piece of, of what people don't realize. And, you know, we saw it uh, either was yesterday or the day before where, where Congress uh, announced that they passed a resolution to end COVID, right? <laughs> okay, so that is foolishness beyond foolishness because Congress has no authority. 
the Health and Human Services Secretary has unilateral authority to end or keep COVID continuing. Mm -hmm. So this was all a show. And the Americans with Disabilities Act, I'll just start with that, is is also in that frame. So at the beginning, you would think, well, you know, Grace was, she had a disability. She had Down syndrome. Uh, I was taken out of the room by an armed guard. We had to hire an attorney to get my daughter Jessica as a replacement advocate. So Grace didn't even have advocacy for 44 hours. Why were you taken out, by the way? Well, ultimately, because I was challenging the care. And I'll give you a very specific example. Well, I'm sure you weren't, you weren't throwing chairs around the room. You were doing it respectfully, mm-hmm. wanting to be the advocate for your daughter. Yeah, I was, you know, I was firm. You need to be firm. You've got to stop the behavior. So they, for example, they would not feed Grace. And so I said, listen, we can feed her. And the reason I know we can feed her is because when the nurses come in to swab her mouth, because it gets dry with the BiPAP, they remove the BiPAP and they put a low flow cannula on her and her oxygen saturation does not drop. And they said, well, the doctor won't approve that. The Grace has to be either on the BiPAP or this high flow cannula. I said, she does not have to be. We can feed her. And they refused. And so I said, listen, you know, it's my responsibility. Grace is my responsibility. Your responsibility is to follow what I asked for, not the doctor's order. Mm-hmm. You know, and those are the type, there was many of those type of mm-hmm. confrontations, okay. if you want to call them that, yeah. that ultimately when the nurse came in and said, you need to leave immediately, that was her first response is that the last three shifts of nurses don't want you in the room. So, I mean, ultimately that, removing me from the room was significant in the cause of death relative to grace. So, you know, so that's an ADA violation. Strapping her down to the bed is an ADA violation. There was a number of them, but the problem with the Americans with Disabilities Act is that you have to know the act exists. You have to know the provisions of the act and you have to have an attorney on standby if there's a violation because after the person's dead, there's no claim. So we have no claim under the Americans with Disabilities Act. So you see these, t- when you wow. see these laws, you have to look below the surface. There yeah. is, there's a dog and pony show going on where they want to make, these politicians want to make themselves look good and put laws in place that you can never use. So, you know, you asked about, you know, the, the specific discrimination relative to grace. And, and I'll just share this. The, the doctor who wrote the first day's report, on Grace is Dr. Zymet. So he was the COVID expert at St. Elizabeth's. And in his first day report, of course, you don't know this until you get the records after the fact, but he referenced that in one report that Grace had Down syndrome, he referenced it four times. What's the purpose? That's like saying, I have gray hair four times. Does that change the standard mm. of care? You know, if it changed it, what it should do is have you dig into, is there something special we need to do for somebody with Down syndrome, mm-hmm. which they did not. Number two, he referenced that we're Christian twice. Uh-oh. He referenced that we're following the frontline doctor's misinformation campaign twice. And he referenced that we're not vaccinated twice. In fact, the last statement that's in discrimination. his... discrimination. Well, that's the way I see it. The last Jeez. statement on his report said, if Grace would have been vaccinated, she wouldn't be here. I mean, just process that. And he can't, there's no proof, he can't no. prove that? No. This, that's amazing that he put that in the report. Mm-hmm. Okay, Scott, Mary wasn't here last year, earlier last year when we interviewed you several times on this, and 
I think a lot of people need to be brought up to speed. You mentioned earlier incentives to the hospital mm-hmm. from the government. Can you give us a few bullet points on what hospitals were making per COVID patient or with the ventilators or how does that work? Yeah, so the mechanics of how it works, I'm not 100% sure of, but the money I am 100% sure of because I, because I've researched it. And I want to first say that this is still happening. Mm-hmm. So we are still under a public health emergency. Okay. Between 500 and 1,000 people a day are still being killed with a COVID diagnosis as the cause of death. So if there's a COVID diagnosis on the death certificate, that results in a $13,000 bonus to the hospital. They get a bonus for testing you positive with COVID. So they're still doing COVID testing because wow. the incentives are still wow. in place. Uh, wow. Remdesivir is... Remdesivir, which is run death, death is near. That has, that yeah. drug has a seventy five percent kill rate. So that drug receives a bonus. Um, there's a number of other drugs under the emergency youth authorization that fit into that same category. An interesting one is toxalizumab. That's one that doctors I met wanted us to use on Grace. And when I researched toxalizumab, the placebo group did better than the drug group. Well, I found out after the fact that one dose of toxalizumab is a $22,000 paycheck to the hospital. Wow. The biggie is ventilator. So mm-hmm. convincing the, the patient or their advocate to put the patient on a ventilator is a $39,000 bonus. Per patient? Per patient. Wow. But it's way worse than that because the average hospital stay with a person on a ventilator is 22 days. And a ventilator has a 90% kill rate. So when you add up all the money that the hospital receives for ventilators, about 300000 per patient. So there's a huge incentive. In fact, they asked Cindy and I for a preauthorization five different times to put a preauthorization for a ventilator for Grace. So you can see, you know, I didn't know about the money at that time, but right. what happened was is we, wow. I researched ventilators live in the hospital because I went into the hospital with the ventilator paradigm created by President Trump that ventilators are a tool in the tool chest and we have a shortage mm-hmm. and we're going to implement the Emergency Powers Act you know, to produce ventilators, thinking we've got to have mm-hmm. these. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I learned very quickly in the hospital what's going on. So, I mean, we never approved a ventilator because it was never necessary. A ventilator should never be a tool used with COVID. It literally has a 90% kill rate. Yeah. So you can see the financial incentive is what's driving it. Wow. I have an article here that might be encouraging to you. Um, Children's Health Defense, uh, RFK Juniors. In fact, that's where I saw your press conference yesterday. They were streaming it. Well, they, um, they're working on a petition here. Statement from medical professionals and scientists supporting parental rights and medical freedom. And I'll just, I'll summarize it, but then I want to dovetail with what you just said. Uh, this is for doctors to sign. And um, they're asking doctors to sign this, and it will be circulated to lawmakers throughout America. And here's the basic of it. Uh, number one, there's no scientific rationale for continuing COVID-19 mandates in 2023 and beyond. Number two, mask and vaccine exemptions must be offered at the discretion of the physician and patient, as opposed to one-size-fits-all government edicts. Number three, Parental rights and decisions must be preserved to ensure the health and well-being of the children. And number four, the ability of medical professionals to speak freely to their patients and the public must not be compromised. And it goes on to say, uh, this includes informed consent is the basis of medical ethics. They shouldn't even have to say that, right? But here they have to say that. Um, 
The corollary to, corollary to informed consent is that medical decisions ought to be made by individual patients based on their individual situation and best interest. Uh, during the last three years, we've experienced unprecedented interference with the doctor-patient relationship by the government. And here's where it connects with what you just said. Considerable financial incentives were paid to medical industries and medical providers. And when and then it says, when financial incentives did not achieve universal vaccinations... So that was the goal, apparently. Mandates were imposed. One way this was done was re- by requiring uh, COVID-19 vaccinations for healthcare workers. Um, and then it says grants to school districts were conditioned on mask mandates in schools. The newly imposed incentives and punishments for noncompliance fly in the face of long-established medical ethics especially informed consent and shared decision-making. This must end. It's really sad that this has to be a thing at all. That should be a given in medical uh, interactions with doctors. And so what you went through is just so mind-boggling to me. How did we get here is my first question. But I also see now on your media news conference this line. It says, Grace's legal case will lay the groundwork for other hospital victims where their right to informed consent was denied and the patient suffered injury and death. I hope so. I hope so. Do you do you feel that that? Because uh, I know of other people. There are other. I know of other people in Wisconsin who I believe were killed by the hospitals. I mean, you know, but God. I think, but God. You know what I mean? As much as you've gone through, and I wouldn't wish that on anyone. But God, and I'm hoping that this is that that it will lay the groundwork for other hospital victims. Do you, do you, are you um, positive about that? I mean, are you feeling good about that possibility? There's a, there's a number of questions here, Mary, and the possibility, I believe, it, the groundwork that we're being laid is because we're calling out individual doctors and nurses. That's okay. why I believe that it will lay the groundwork for no other reason, because there has been no one that has been held to account mm-hmm. at this point. And so when other doctors and nurses realize there's consequences to choices, I believe it can bring down the house of cards. You know, framing what you just said about RFK Jr., I have fairly regular contact with him. He's, I believe he's a good man. The, one of the issues with what he wrote is that it's framing it in the context of COVID. Number one. Number two, and I'm going to explain why I say that. Number two is that we can never legislate morality. And I'm going to give you a very specific example. So when I say he's framing it into the context of COVID, you asked, how is this? How long has this been going on? Well, this has been going on a long time. It was codified into law on March 23rd of 2010. And what is it? It is the euthanasia agenda. So this is this is big time. So yep. Ezekiel Emanuel, who David, you and I have talked about before on this program, I'm going to read you a quote from him. He said specifically. This is in 1996, and he's the chief architect for Obamacare, passed on March 23rd of 2010. So in 1996, he said, quote, services provided to individuals who are irreversibly prevented from being or becoming participating citizens are not basic and should not be guaranteed. So what we're seeing here is COVID just gave the it opened up the floodgates for what they had already had planned. Mm-hmm. So that's why I don't, uh. I don't, I think we've got to take this off of COVID. Grace's mm. case is nothing to do with COVID. Mm. It really is about a euthanasia okay. agenda. And then I'm going to give you a specific reason why I say you cannot contract morality. This is from 
the American Medical Association Informed Consent Code of Ethics. So this is this is what they're already supposed to follow. Their ethics. Their ethics. I'm <laughs> going to read it to you. Informed consent to medical treatment is fundamental in both ethics and law. Patients have the right to receive information and ask questions about recommended treatments so that they can make well-considered decisions about care. So this is their own code of ethics. Obviously, they're not following it. And in fact, I'm going to put an ex exclamation point on it because we know Grace had a DNR put on her at 1056 the morning of her last day. Mm. And we filed a complaint with the Department of Safety and Professional Services. That's the organization in Wisconsin that regulates doctors and nurses. They wrote on December 5th of 2022, Chapter 154, which is the Wisconsin State Statute for DNR, of the Wisconsin statutes does not apply to physicians operating in hospital non-emergency room settings such as the one in question. So wrap your head oh around that. Goodness. That means that if you're in a hospital, you've got to have your you need your laptop at your desk, your electronic chart up and you need it live so that you can follow to see did the doctor put a DNR on me? Did he put a DNR on me? You know, every you better be checking it every oh my 5 minutes. Goodness. So you so that's why I don't have a lot of faith yeah. in what yeah. RFK is doing there because we've got to get, we've got to change hearts. That's yes. the only way this wow. is going to change. Oh. Wow. Uh, it's a good place to pause before mm. we take our break because we've got more to talk about with Scott Shera when we come back. Uh, landmark lawsuit filed yesterday. They had their press conference in Appleton, Wisconsin, and it is against the hospital and it's about the protocols that led to the death of their daughter, Grace, 19 years old at the time. So much more to get to, including some medical papers that are now coming out um, saying there are other disorders that are either caused by COVID or the vaccines. And this is interesting, friends. We're not going to say we told you so. But also that uh, article on VAERS and the physician that was fired, We'll briefly mention that when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Our social media pages are shadow banned. Thanks for your prayers and sharing our posts at StandUpForTheTruth.com. All right, we've got Grace's dad in studio, Scott Shera, the founder and president of our amazing Grace's Light Shines On Incorporated. Over to that article really quick that we've alluded to a couple times, but just don't have enough time to get into it. It's really in depth, and we'll have to do it another time. But it does say they there's been some f- doctors that have been fired for reporting COVID nineteen vaccine adverse events to the VAERS system. It's a vaccine adverse event reporting system, and there, there's uh, at least one article here on a physician assistant Deborah Conrad that was labeled an anti vaxxer and fired from her job. Why? She reported some vaccine adverse events. To VARES. And if you go over to openvares.com, and these are underestimated, these are lowball numbers as far as the deaths due to the vaccine, over 34,000 uh, hospitalizations, over 194,000 urgent care visits, over 147,000 doctor office visits, over 227,000, and this is due to the vaccine. Um, what else? Uh, Bell's palsy and just heart attacks, 18,000. It goes all kinds of different things that, uh, that people have been dealing with. And I just wanted to mention that is out there, and that is a controversial thing that should have never been controversial for doctors 
to actually file a report based on a patient coming in saying, hey, I got the vaccine last week, and all of a sudden, this is what I'm experiencing. For doctors to keep that information, um, it, it shouldn't be, but I think a lot of them for different reasons do. Uh, Scott, back to one of the questions that, that was asked yesterday, and I was wondering about this myself. You did not have an autopsy on Grace, and would you suggest or recommend that other people who've had a family member die in the hospital, should they get an autopsy? That's a fantastic question. So, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. So at the time of Grace's death, two things were influencing us. One is our son Travis had died of suicide three years earlier, and an autopsy is mandatory in a suicide. And so having gone through that, we just, you know, Cindy and I mm. quickly dismissed the idea of an autopsy with Grace. Okay. Uh, and second of all, at that point, we didn't know how Grace died. You know, so we would have, if we would have known how Grace died before we buried her, of course, we would have done an uh, autopsy. Because you didn't see the reports Correct. and you didn't, didn't know the drugs that were administered. Correct. Uh. We didn't know. So, yes, I would encourage anybody who has a loved one who dies in the hospital and anything that is anything suspect, absolutely do an autopsy. And even maybe, maybe even more critical is make sure that you check out to the credentials of the person doing the autopsy because there's there's a lot of corruption. Oh, boy. And I was going to ask you to elaborate, but I think people can understand if there's there's corruption at every level and the government is trying to cover up you know, what's been going on, uh, obviously associating COVID deaths to people who really didn't die of COVID. Maybe they had tested positive, but they had other things that were triggered. Um, anyway, uh, Mayor, do you have a question? I just wanted to reference uh, an article here uh, by it's uh, a new analysis was uh, released a few days ago by Humanity Projects, and it's a wing of Portugal-based research firm Finance Technologies, which is founded by former BlackRock portfolio manager Edward Dowd. Uh, he wrote the book Cause Unknown: The Epidemic mm. of Sudden Deaths in Twenty One and Twenty Two. It's amazing yep. tribute to these people. It's not just information; it's a tribute to these people who are probably forgotten. Yeah. Uh, they will not be forgotten. But it's groundbreaking analysis, and it's just a snapshot of uh, 2022 only U.S. vaccine damage report. Just listen to these numbers. Estimated human cost, and then there's estimated economic cost. So the first one is estimated human cost, 26.6 million injuries that they know of, 1.36 million disabilities, 300,000 excess deaths. Okay, that's the human cost. Now, the estimated economic cost for the one year alone, the total is 147.8 billion. Injuries, that net breaks down further to injuries, 89.9 billion. Disabilities, 52 billion. 52.2 billion excess deaths cost 5.6 billion. And then the economy alone, an estimated that is 147 billion in damage to our economy that I believe people knew exactly what they were doing. Um, but Edwin Down was on Tucker Carlson recently, um, early part of March, talking about these numbers. And I'm glad to see these numbers come out. Like I said, it's only what they know, what this particular vaccine damage project knows about. I have a feeling it's going to be a lot worse around the world. Europe, uh, if numbers come in from around the world, 
Um, and now we're talking miscarriages and fetal deaths in Europe. There's another report uh, from Robert Malone just a few days ago, 3,600 reports of miscarriages and fetal deaths in Europe. I mean, it's just it's just an abomination from mm-hmm. beginning to end. And so that's just to let people know that they're kind of now coming out with some numbers, um, and it's very tragic. All right, Scott, I've got something that they're also coming out with, and this relates to my wife. And this brings your wife into the picture because she has been a godsend to us personally. And um, I don't know if Cindy's listening right now. You better be. Uh, but um, it, it's, it was really amazing, guys. Um, Rosanna had an appointment a couple of weeks ago to go in for a blood evaluation. It was on the day that I worked two jobs, and so I, I couldn't take her because of my schedule. I, just, I, I had to be there, but I just couldn't work it out. So Cindy was the one that we reached out to. Three women we reached out to. Um, the first two couldn't do it, and I, I got to Cindy she was the one that was supposed to be there with Rosanna because she understood so much of the the um, information behind the blood, the the everything to do with the the issues that Rosanna was dealing with, the the supplements, the the background that she had, the medical because of what you guys have been through, and I it doesn't make it any easier for you guys, but God used that to help educate Cindy, and we had no idea how much this was going to reveal in that blood evaluation so that we can do an aggressive detox. Um, And Cindy helped her with all the supplements, wrote down what she was supposed to do. It was just just amazing. But I just really want to thank you and Cindy. But this just came out. Robert Malone, um, Dr. Malone, uh, MD, Functional Neurological Disorders, after COVID and the COVID vaccines. FND, Functional Neurological Disorders. I was reading this. I'm going, wow, that's an important study that's come out. And he released it because it was a medical paper, med page. He says they're actually admitting adverse events from the vaccine are more common than previously thought. And uh, there are long-term neurologic consequences for a large fraction of the population. And my wife falls into the FND. If that is a disorder, we're trying to get a consult now in neuro- for a neurology. We're waiting to hear on that. Based on this article, I'm going, okay, I believe she was misdiagnosed. And we don't need to get into the details. But friends have been supportive on her Facebook page, Rosanna's Journey. Go check that out. But, Scott, I just want to thank you for just your friendship through this time, this season. And now your wife... It's, it's now we're family. It is so humbling to be used like this. You know, Grace's death not only woke me up personally, but she is literally saving lives. I mean, the number of situations that have happened and that we're just aware of, uh, you know, it's miracle after miracle. You know, to frame what Mary just said and what you just said about Rosanna's injury, there's a bigger picture. So everybody sees people waking up to the vaccine situation. Yeah. And I, I just hear me out on this. I think that's on purpose. What, what, what is on purpose? That the propaganda has switched to waking people up. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And the reason I say that is because they're setting us up for an amnesty lane that we're going to accept. Yeah, not wow. you and I, but... Yeah. They're setting us up for an amnesty lane. What do you and, mean? And what I mean by that is, if you look at two weeks ago, it might have been three weeks now, they released through all the propaganda media, including Fox, that the that COVID came from a lab leak. 
That is a complete lie. It did not mm-hmm. come from a lab leak. It, you mean was, it was purposeful? It was purposeful. Oh, right. it was- and so if they can blame it on a lab leak, it opens up the amnesty lane. Oh, and it was an accident. It was an accident, right, and right, we can right. fix that. China didn't do that on purpose. So now look at now. So Mary just gave us the statistics: three hundred thousand excess deaths in two thousand twenty-two. Okay, so the lane that we are in, just process this. There's one point two million excess deaths in the last three years in the lane that we're in. Okay, why is that not reported? In mm. the number one and number two causes of death in those two lanes are elderly and disabled. Okay, those are not that's not the cause of death, but those right, are statistically right. the number one and number two those categories of, those people, categories of people. So, yeah. and again, I'm talking about the euthanasia agenda. This is what they don't want out because those mm-hmm. two population groups accounted for 62 million Americans, 39% of our federal budget before COVID. Now there's 100 million Americans on Medicare and Medicaid. That's the elderly and disabled. Wow. That is, this thing is alive and well. This is not going to end by Congress mm-hmm. saying COVID ends. Right. I right. want to make sure people understand this euthanasia agenda is coming to you personally, mm-hmm. and you have to be awake to that. Don't fall for the amnesty I mean, this is this. There's a bigger message. Yeah. So thanks. I'm glad you guys brought this up. That's heavy to consider, but if you go back a hundred years and what and and what started in America and what went, Margaret Sanger and eugenics, mm-hmm. the birth control quote unquote uh, movement and the eugenics sterilization, population control, we understand, especially those that are using climate as the excuse to reduce the human population. The uh, World Economic Forum, the, the UN, Bill Gates, and so many others. We understand, but we have a hard time still in America accepting the evil heart of man and that this could actually be happening. Because I think 50 to 75 years ago, our great grandparents or other generations would say that could what you're talking about could never happen in America. Well, that's right, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read you a provision out of Obamacare. This will be, you know, when somebody hears this, you're going to have to re-listen to this because you've got to wrap your head around <laughs> okay. it. All right. Individuals or institutions refusing to participate in assisted suicide, euthanasia, or mercy killing may not be discriminated against by the government. So wrap your head around that. That's saying if you choose to not participate in mercy killing, euthanasia, and assisted suicide, you won't be discriminated against. That means... We're telling you that's what we're going to do. Wait, what are we, Canada? I know I'm, I'm jo- in a way I'm joking because they've got this uh, MAID Act, yeah. Medical Assistance in Dying, um, and they're now trying to push that down to minors. Um, but in America, we know there are five states where euthanasia is legal, um, where doctor-assisted suicide, whatever, however you want to phrase it, it is murder, and it, and and the thief Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And I believe, I don't doubt what you're saying, and I don't even disagree, but I do believe there are some evil men that are unleashing some of this, but I also believe mm-hmm. there are a lot of useful idiots. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, maybe naive, maybe naive minions that are just saying, okay, well, we're supposed to do this, and they would never do use this for such and such. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you think about that? Well, and I think... I, oh, we, no, okay, either okay, one. Okay, well, I think... <laughs> 
You know, we talked about on the program in the past about things that seem to be sweeping the entire globe as though there's the spirit of the age going on, you know, trans and gender issues, uh, redefining currencies, digital currencies are coming around the world. This COVID thing was the first thing that everyone in the whole world was looking at all at once, which really is prophetic because Revelation talks about all those who dwell on the earth. So the world is going to be united about these things. Have you looked into at all how eugenics and euthanasia maybe how this may, is the pattern now of the whole world as we go towards a, a sort of a world government, a, a you know world dictatorship, socialism. Um, have you looked into Is this pretty much going on everywhere, not just the People's Republic of Canada and whatever it is we are in here? <laughs> That's an outstanding question, Mary. And, yes, I have looked into it in a fair degree of detail last June. That's when I realized that Grace's death was part of the genocide, and then I started researching the mm-hmm. Holocaust, and that's when Vera and Vera Shero yeah. and I started doing okay, yeah. things together. And in <laughs> fact, what's interesting, the it's a it's a neat segue because Jan Markell is going to be playing the interview Ooh. with Vera and I over the weekend. Excellent! Awesome. Oh, that's excellent. So that's a, that's a replay because you did that a year ago, didn't you? I think it was last September. Oh, okay. I remember that great interview, wow. and uh, Jan, of course, a friend of ours, a friend of this podcast. Yeah. She's been a wonderful um, woman of God and ministry leader and, and influencer, and, and mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate her voice, her platform. Um, I was going to ask you about Vera, because she had some information that goes along with what you're talking about. When you talk about eugenics or euthanasia, um, I mean, so many people go back to, we, we seem to exit America and look over at Germany and look down our noses at Mm -hmm. Hitler. But we forget that this whole thing, a lot of it started here, the influence with Margaret Sanger and the sterilization of uh, prostitutes and prison inmates. And California, I think there were tens of thousands they were working on really before the 30s even. And so Hitler's, uh, one of their top eugenicists, his name was Ernst Rudin. Um, he he was writing articles for Margaret Sanger's Birth Control Review, I believe, 1921. So there was a connection there, and no, very few people will go back and look at that and say, wait a minute, that was in America? That was the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger? She wanted to – she had interest in euthanasia, and, and it's, she was a racist, a feminist, a radical – socialist, and other things. But I'd love to get your thoughts on that, Scott, in helping people connect the dots – we're, we've on this podcast, we're encouraging people to go consider things that they go where no man has gone before yeah. or go where they've never gone before because it's just too icky. They don't want to think of their fellow human beings that they could be that evil. Right. Wow, that opened up uh, quite a Pandora's box. Let it roll. Uh, <laughs> we've got 10 minutes. Yeah, so I have, <laughs> I have lots of thoughts on that. And I, the thing I would start with is you know, when you when you start waking up, you know I don't think any of us can be fully woken up, but it creates an obligation. And so, what I'm going to say next, the obligation it creates is dig into this yourself. Don't believe mm-hmm. it because I'm saying it. Good. Yes. So, in the Nuremberg trials, hardly anybody was convicted. Right. You know, there were some some people who were hung because of their actions in the Nuremberg trials, but. The United States brought 1,600 of the criminals to the United States in Operation Paperclip. And those individuals put the euthanasia agenda in the United States on steroids. 
That's why we have a youth in Asia agenda. We are behind, the United States is behind every conceivable evil that you can expect. But we have, we are the best nation in the world at projecting our sin onto everybody else. Oh boy. And they have us all fooled. Well, I'm not fooled anymore. Mm. And I encourage anybody listening to look into what I'm talking about. I would tell you our government is 100% corrupt. All of them. Look at what's going on. They, they grandstand. You know, look at what we just talked about. Congress passes you, you know, almost unanimously. The end of COVID? The end of COVID. Let's celebrate, Scott. All, I mean, why are they doing it now? Mm-hmm. You know, they, this... There's a reason for almost everything. I'm not quite as cynical about our entire government and every representative, but, I mean, we've got some wonderful men of God yes. um, in, our, in Congress and in the Senate. There's a parallel with the remnant of the church in America, mm-hmm. a small remnant of true Bible-believing Christians who get it, mm-hmm. who understand Bible prophecy, the whole counsel of God. And when you talk about government, there's a small remnant of men that really understand the Constitution, have a love for America, they love God and country, but that is the numbers are dwindling. Well, and we have to look at the multinational uh, corporations that are also running an awful lot of this world, and they're letting the who make decisions about things. But when you go back to Nuremberg and the Holocaust, IBM developed the technology to round up the Jews. IBM is also developing the technology that's going to track every human. And also Bayer uh, developed the RU486 that killed the Jews. Well, Bayer and all these companies... Uh, the IG Farben cartel got a slap on the wrist at Nuremberg. That's why Bayer is still around. That's why these companies are still around, and they're called Big Pharma. That's mm-hmm. spot on. Think wow. about, think about. So this is why, as, you know, Ascension Hospital System in the scheme of Grace's case is meaningless. Why? Right. Because let's say that they have a, a billion dollar payout for Grace's case. I'm being facetious, but yeah. let's just say that <laughs> they have thirty billion in cash reserves. Yeah. So Pfizer had a two billion dollar fine from the U.S. Yeah. government just a couple of years ago. Where are they at today? These are literally, you know, you think about two billion dollars. That's a slap on the wrist. Yes, it's a slap on the wrist when they are they're in they're all in bed together yeah. in and this they have been corruption for yes. hundred years. There's a book out there called The Hundred Year Lie, and it's all about the beginning of of uh, chemistry, better living through chemistry. And when you connect the dots, Bayer put heroin out as a cough medicine back in the 30s, and everybody went, oh, well, this will be great. Now I won't cough anymore. They, they've been experimenting yeah. on us forever. Yeah. So, By the way, um, Vera Sharav has a commentary, the Nuremberg Code, mm. 75th Anniversary Commentary Edition. You can go to Nuremberg75.com. But, Scott, before we run out of time, let's bring it full circle now. What is the next step for the lawsuit that was historically um, announced yesterday? I want to frame that, David, by just sharing with you something that is very interesting. So I mentioned that we're, you know, our claim, of course, is against Ascension Hospital System. We have to name this Wisconsin Patient Compensations Fund, but then we have uh, five doctors and two nurses listed. And the reason is is because it's really important to have individuals be held to account if yeah. we're going to make a difference. Yeah. You know, and I also want to frame that, that the most important thing for those individuals is to repent. Then we won. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that really is the, the deal. So, I mean, it isn't, it, it, it's not about getting them or something like that. It is we want to make a difference. And it, so a friend of mine 
uh, he called me after he saw the press release and he said, uh, do you know why those in a firing squad all pull the trigger at the same time? I said, no, I don't know why that is. And he explained that this way no one knows who killed the person. But God's economy is not like that. God knows each of these people did a piece of the puzzle. Okay. Wow. So it isn't just the one person. It's all of them participated. Mm. And so so now you asked about what's the next, next step. step yeah. uh, so we will we we cannot have the civil case heard. So the civil case will be filed in the next couple of weeks. That will become public record. Okay. And the reason we want, you know, we, it will by definition, but we're going to shout it out because it will represent an opportunity for other attorneys as a model so that yeah. they have a path going forward. Okay. So that's why we want to get the civil case filed as soon as possible. And we're on the fourth draft of the complaint right now, so it's it's close. Okay. And so, you know, essentially what that is is um, there's a number of claims that I'm not going to go through on the air yet because yeah. I don't want to disclose our strategy, but okay. it's essentially medical malpractice leading to wrongful death. Yep. And then there's a, a number of different claims. But the so when that's filed, that essentially that civil case will be put on hold until the director of state courts, which we filed that complaint yesterday has the mediation hearing and so that will take he has seven days to appoint a committee and then 90 days to hear so then the civil case would can't start until after that 97 days wow wow and there's so much more work to be done um but wow thank you scott Uh, how can people i know they can go to ouramazinggrace.net but if they want to read whether it's the press release or see any of this information, uh, can they get it elsewhere, or is that the best place? Well, we started a new website so that people can sign up, and then we'll be sending updates specifically, so graceshara.com. Okay, And awesome. so then there's a way to then just sign up with your name and, and email, because then we'll be sending regular updates on the, the legal case via that, that separate website. And you know they're cross-referenced. Both re- both websites are cross-referenced, but that's just a okay. simple way you can enter in your name and address, and then you'll um, uh, you'll be uh, given updates. Wow! <sighs> I just see her picture there, holding <laughs> holding some flowers on the home page of that. Scott, um, when when you guys came over the house uh, last week, and you played that video um, of her uh, up on stage, it, if if you were to close your eyes and listen. She did not sound like a woman with Down syndrome. Um, she was incredibly high functioning, and what an amazing young woman! And I know this. This must. Uh, we don't have time to ask you another question, but I was, I was going to ask you how hard it must be, and I know you're getting oh emotional right now. But um, it seems like every time I come in here, I cry, and yeah. you're you know that I remember you know that was uh, one of my favorite clips because it was the first time Grace did her. I always thought Grace would do stand-up comedy, and I would be her sidekick. And it was really her first time of doing. You're, you would be the sidekick. Yeah, it was her first time of doing stand-up comedy. That video I showed you. Oh gosh, Scott Shera, thank you so much. And friends, you just heard many, many more ways specifically that you can be praying for this man, uh, Scott and Cindy and Jess, and their protection, their health, the success of this lawsuit. We pray for good success in God's eyes, and that uh, people would be held accountable in Jesus' name. Mary, your first interview with Scott. 
Wow. Yeah. No, just a lot <laughs> of a things. Lot. Through, yeah, a lot of things going through my head. Things to pray yeah. for. Yes. More to pray for. Amen. Yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much for sharing the podcast. And tr- if you know anybody in Connecticut, Rhode Island, or Utah, give them a shout out and like get them on board here. Hey, uh, next week we're talking with Alex McFarland, apologist and author. On Monday, JB Hicks and Tuesday, Jim Harden Wednesday, Paul Scharf and Jonathan Brentner Friday. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.